In this series, I have described many trials, but now I want to hear what you think. Tell me, was Otto Callison guilty? This is a story of three prisoners in a concentration camp and their guard. The prisoners were all Polish Jews. Sinka Zamoski, who had first been arrested in 1941, Sharja Müller, aged 33, and one Shmuel Rashina, a man of 24. The guard was Otto Callison. Callison was born in 1892. In 1944, at the age of 52, and married with three children, he was conscripted into the German army, and after initial training, he was sent to work in various concentration camps. He rose to the rank of Oberscharfuhrer, that is a staff sergeant. On the 4th of April 1945, he happened to be at Dora, a concentration camp 80 miles southeast of Hanover and he was told to escort a group of prisoners by train to Belsen, which he did, and where he arrived on or about the 10th. Various incidents occurred, which we shall discuss in a moment, and when the British arrived, he was arrested and charged with having committed war crimes. Now, the charge put to a defendant is very important. Let us be clear. If a defendant is to be found guilty of a charge, he must have done what is specified in the charge, not something else. The charge against Callison and the other defendants at the Belson trial was that they had committed war crimes in that, while at Bergen-Belsen, when members of the staff of Bergen-Belsen concentration camp, in violation of the laws and usages of war, were together concerned as parties to the ill-treatment of certain persons causing the deaths of and here follows a list of the names of twelve Allied prisoners. I draw your attention to two phrases which are of particular relevance, while at Bergen-Belsen and when members of the staff of Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. This was a trial of worldwide importance, and the prosecutor undoubtedly gave the charge considerable thought, and he had no reason for including these phrases unless it was to exclude those war crimes, if any, committed by the defendants, a. when they were not at Bergen-Belsen, and b. when they were not members of the staff of Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. To put it another way, the charge did not include crimes committed by a member of the staff of Bergen-Belsen camp when he was, say, in Berlin, and it did not cover crimes committed by staff of, say, the Dora camp, when they were at Belsen. And back to our story. As an Oberscharfuhrer, Callison was a senior NCO on this train, which took a group of about 3,000 prisoners from Dora to Belsen. It was a distance of only 120 miles, but nevertheless the journey took seven days. Very little food or water was made available to the prisoners, and many of them died. There can be no doubt but that it must have been horrendous. The prisoner, Zamoski, swore an affidavit in which he said that he was on the transport and that Callison was in charge. He confirmed that the journey had lasted seven days, 
but he said that the prisoners were provided with no water or bread. There were 190 men in one wagon, and more than 50% died. He said that Callison walked along the train, and when he, Zamoski, asked Callison for some bread and water, Callison said he would give Zamoski water with his pistol. Zamoski then drew his attention to the dead bodies in the hope of getting more space. Callison replied, You are going to die very soon too, so there is no difference. Muller was also a prisoner on that transport, which, he said, started out from Dora on the 4th of April. He recognised Callison from a photograph which he was shown after the British had liberated the camp, and he said that on the third day of the trip, Callison shot, and Muller believed killed, a prisoner who was scrabbling for carrots from the ground. Rashina swore an affidavit in which he said that on or about the 2nd of April 1945, he arrived at Belson in the charge of Callison. Some prisoners tried to get at some carrots, they had had no food for six days. He says that Callison shot one of these prisoners in the leg and ordered some SS men to finish him off. Rashina then heard two shots and he had no doubt that the victim was dead. Zamoski continues the story. After they had arrived at Belson, Callison struck a man by the name of Maidan, a friend of his, who as a result had to go to hospital. After a few days, Zamoski took some turnips for Maidan, but was told by the hospital sister that Maidan was dead. Another prisoner, Jekyll Gutmann, confirmed from his personal knowledge that Zamoski's affidavit was true. In summary, four serious allegations were made. Zamoski claimed that Callison, while in charge of the transport from Dora to Belson, had provided insufficient food and water for the prisoners, and had thereby caused the deaths of many of them. Müller alleged that on the journey Callison had shot and killed a man scrabbling for carrots. Rashina alleged that on arrival at Belson, Callison had shot a man in the leg for taking food and had ordered the SS to kill him. And Zamoski, supported by Gutmann, claimed that when at Belson, Callison had struck and killed the prisoner Maidan. Callison denied everything. Now consider. The charge contained those words, while at Bergen-Belsen. Do you think that it can be properly said that actions taken on a train travelling from Dora to Belsen have occurred at Bergen-Belsen, even as the train is meandering through the German countryside miles, indeed days from its destination? And was Callison a member of the staff of Bergen-Belsen concentration camp, as required in the charge, even when he had never in fact seen Belsen? He starts our story as a member of the Dora camp staff, and at some point becomes a member of the Belsen camp staff. But where is that point? If it was on departure from Dora, then he is potentially guilty of all the charges. But if not, then two of the charges, Zamoski's charge of failing to provide food and water, and Müller's charge of shooting a man scrabbling for carrots, fall away. Let's now look at the evidence. Zamoski claimed that Callison was in charge of the transport. Can you accept that assertion? How would Zamoski, prisoner, have known who was in charge? 
He may well have seen Callison giving orders, both to the prisoners and to other guards. But what were the grounds which led him to form the view that it was Callison who was in charge? How was Zamoski, presumably for the most part locked in a cattle wagon, to know that there was not a more senior NCO, or even an officer, to whom Callison reported? Indeed, Hersler, the Belsen deputy camp commandant, and a man called Schmitz, both gave evidence that Callison was not in charge of the train, and Callison gave evidence that it was an Oberscharfuhrer Hartwig, a sergeant one rank senior to his, and, you might think, because of that, more likely to be the person chosen. Why should it be thought that Zamoski was right when he said that Callison was in charge, and Callison, Hersler, and Schmitz wrong when they said that he was not? But even if Callison had been in charge, there was, by all accounts, insufficient food and water for the prisoners. But that does not mean that that situation had come about because of the criminal negligence or malicious intent of the man in charge. That would have been a matter to be proved to the court, and it was not proved. Let us now consider Mueller's claim that Callison had shot a man scrabbling for carrots. We have Mueller's word for it, and we also have Callison's denial. You may think that Mueller's word has the ring of truth about it, that is, that it's more likely than not that he's telling the truth. You can accept it as proof only if you have no reasonable doubt in your mind about its truthfulness. And no other evidence of this shooting was put before the court. It was one man's word against another's. Regina claimed that Callison had shot a prisoner in the leg and then ordered the SS to kill him, and that this had happened in Belson on the 2nd of April. The defence pointed out that it was generally agreed that Callison and the transport had arrived in Belson about the 9th of April, that is a week after the date given by Rashina. And Callison said that on the 2nd of April he had been in Nordhausen, in a church, that is, 120 miles away. If a guard at Belsen had indeed done as Rashina stated on the 2nd of April, it clearly could not have been Callison. Prisoners, of course, did not carry diaries or calendars, and time would have meant little to them. But it is quite obvious that Rashina had made a mistake. Either he had got the date wrong, or he had misidentified Callison as the perpetrator. How can you know which it was? In any event, the actions of which Rashina had, if his testimony is true, personal knowledge, was the shooting in the leg by Callison of a prisoner. Without further evidence, that sounds bad. But I remind you that every year, police in America kill about a thousand people, and that the vast, vast majority of these killings are considered justified. You may think that shooting someone in the leg was a war crime, but if you, if society, can accept that the vast majority of a thousand killings by American policemen are justified, you would need a good argument to explain why the shooting of a prisoner in the leg by a German is a war crime. Given that we have no more information than that which I have given above, I suggest that you would have difficulty in supporting that point of view. Rashina says that he then had two further shots and he had no doubt that the victim was then dead. Rashina may have had no doubts, 
But the question is whether you, as judge, have any doubt, any reasonable doubt. There is no corroborative evidence, no other witness, no record of the shooting, no post-mortem report, no body, no death certificate, not even a name. Can you say that you have no reasonable doubt? As for the death of Maidan, Zamoski swore that he had been told of the death by a sister at the internee hospital. However, the defence called two SS doctors, a Dr. Schmidt and a Dr. Kurska, who both swore that there were no sisters at the internee hospital. Was the court to believe that the two doctors, who you might think were likely to have been better informed about the staff at the hospital than would have been a visitor, were mistaken? Is it really possible that Zamoski could have mistaken a male nurse for a female? And if he could, is it reasonable to believe that Goodman, who confirmed from his personal knowledge that Zamoski's affidavit was true, also chanced to make the same mistake? Or is it possible that Zamoski, smarting under the callous rebuke made to him on the train by Callison, and quite possibly incensed by other incidents, including the death of his friend Maidan, which, I suggest, touched him deeply, had, aided by Goodman, maliciously made a false accusation. Now, I have a question for you. If you had been one of the five judges sitting on the tribunal, would you have found Callison guilty or not guilty? I remind you that you can vote for a guilty verdict only if you have no reasonable doubt as to the correctness of your finding. Was Callison in charge of the train, and did he have a duty to provide food and water to the prisoners, which he failed to perform, and thereby caused their deaths? Did he shoot a man without good reason on the third day of the journey? And when he was at Belson, did he shoot a man in the leg, again without good reason, and then order the SS to kill him? Did he kill the prisoner Maidan? I'd like to be able to help you further, but I have seen nothing in the trial transcript or in the law report prepared after the trial, which would be of use. You have, as far as I am aware, all the information which was available to the court. And now, you are sitting in the judge's retiring room. The President of the Court, Major General Horatio Burney Ficklin, says, Well, gentlemen, you have all heard the evidence. Let us take a vote. He coughs gently and leans across the table to you. How do you find the defendant, he says to you, guilty or not guilty? I would be very interested if you could leave a note of your answer to that question in the comments. Let us now forget which way you actually vote and assume that a majority of the judges have found him guilty. General Bernie Ficklin turns to you again and ask you to propose a sentence. Whatever you think about his guilt or innocence, the court in a few moments is going to pronounce him guilty. Your duty, as one of the judges on a military tribunal, is to award a sentence which fits the crime of which the tribunal has found the prisoner guilty. What do you think would be an appropriate sentence? You can choose any punishment you wish, from a small fine to imprisonment for a month or for life, to death. I would like to be able to tell you more about the finding of the court, but our records of the trial are not complete, and all we have 
is their decision. What I can tell you is that he was found guilty and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. And that was the longest prison sentence awarded by the court. Was the finding of guilty just? Was the sentence fair? You must form your own view.